Welcome to Mysterious Goings On, the podcast about creativity, writing, and mystery. Every week, we talk about all kinds of great fiction and meet the people who write it. We also feature explorations about creativity in all walks of life. Your host, Alex Greenwood, will join you right after this. Experience the magic at the Knights of Lights, produced by the Kansas City Renaissance Festival. Stroll through a Renaissance wonderland with lights, shopping, food, music, entertainment, games, rides, and fun. Visits with Santa, Mrs. Claus, and Barbie the Christmas Elf will captivate you, and the sights, scents, and sounds of the festivities will enchant you. Open weekends November 24th through December 31st, Fridays and Saturdays 5.30 to 10 p.m., Sundays 5.30 to 9 p.m., and Thursday, December 21st, 5.30 to 9. Info at kcrenfest.com, and for your chance to win tickets, email me, Alex, at alex at alexgpr.com. That's alex at alexgpr.com. Send your name, address, and phone number, and I'll send you two free tickets if you're one of our lucky winners. Again, Knights of Lights Festival. More information at kcrenfest.com. You know, uh, I say this kind of thing a lot on this show, and mm. uh, and and I mean it every time I say it, right, folks? I say it's such it's such a great gig because I get to meet so many people from all walks of life, multi talented, um, and people who have these great stories to tell. And then then there's especially these folks who are not only good at one creative thing, but they're good at a couple or maybe three or four. Folks like that are fascinating, and that's why I'm really excited to about today's guest. He embodies the fusion of music and words, right? I mean, I love music, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't play the spoons to save my life. But this guy, he comes from the soulful hills of Chattanooga, Tennessee. His name's Douglas Bales, and he's captivated audiences not only with his melodies and work behind the drum kit and all the other stuff, but also with his poetic and narrative storytelling. And he was previously known for his poetry in various zines and journals, but recently he launched his first novel. It's called Maximum Taxi, published by Anxiety Press. Hey, how about this? Let's get my mouth, uh, you know, quiet and get the meter running and welcome Douglas Bales to the show. Douglas Bales, welcome to Mysterious Goings On. Hey, Alex, thank you for having me, man. It's my Good pleasure. To be Did here. I get that right? Are you a drummer? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's primarily I'm a drummer. I have uh, fronted a couple of bands. I, I write lyrics quite a lot. So I fronted a band back in the... Um, I guess like the mid to late nineties called truth head where I was the, the front man. And, uh, recently, well, it's been about a year ago. I put out a single that was a tribute to Joe Strummer where I did the, the vocals and the drums and the singing. So, but you, yeah, uh, primarily I'm a drummer. And, you know, and you know, you're a drummer who loves strummer and yeah, <laughs> We lost the guy way too soon, didn't we? Oh yeah, man. And he he was he was always a big influence on me. And um he he was one of the greatest lyricists ever, in my opinion. And I just always dug his um his point of view on on the world and politics and just life, you know. But yeah, he died. I think he was just uh fifty years old when he died, you know. Oh my god. I mean, yeah, yeah, here, you know that that's that's like five years ago for me you know i mean yeah. i just can't imagine you know because i still feel like a kid and healthy mostly and yeah yeah so it's it's crazy thought and yeah i agree with you uh you know uh because strummer did obviously you know you a lot of people know about rock the casbah but he, he did big didn't he do big audio dynamite too wasn't he part of that no, that, that was that wrong? uh that was mick jones the uh, other guitarist mick. from the clash yeah that was okay. Mick's band. okay yeah. see there but i've he, already uh, lost my cred well, Strummer did the uh, <laughs> he he put out a couple of solo albums and then uh, started a group called the Mescaleros. Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros. Oh, okay, cool. I got to look that up. I, I oh, they're great. I, I, I yeah, lost they're track great. Of him, you know. Yeah. 
Oh man, that's fantastic. Well, you know, so uh, what, I, what, so what kind of music do you guys play? What, what can you tell us your band? Well, where you play and what you play? Cur- yeah, currently I'm I'm playing with a fellow called Husky Burnett. It's Husky Burnett and the Come Down, and it's sort of heavy blues oriented, blues rock kind of thing. Pretty loud, pretty heavy. It's just a three piece. Husky's wife Caroline plays bass. And I'm on drums, and Husky plays guitar and sings. I love uh, that but, name, Caroline. That's my daughter's name. Great oh, name. sweet, great. <laughs> she's got it. She's got to be a cool person. So <laughs> I want to ask you something, I, and I, I, it's not often I get to talk to drummers, okay? And I know we're right. going to talk about your writing, but I, I, I got to just bring this in here. There is, and you also sing, right? While behind the kit, right? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, occasionally. Okay. So. I'm just amazed at your ability, though, because you got to make your legs do things, your arms do things. Then, but when you're having to sing as well, I mean, like you know, you look at you look at you look at any great drummer who sings, and you're just like, "What planet are you from, man?" Dude, I don't know. I don't know it. <laughs> you got to have kind of a messed up brain, you know. <laughs> like, like I got scrambled eggs for brains, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Goes in all directions. <laughs> well, and that's that's leading me into my to my question though about your writing, about being a writer as well. Right. Um, the intersection of the two, because I the scrambled egg, you know, brain. You know, I mean, some people say that to writers too. That where, how the hell do you like? I just had a guy tell me uh, yesterday. He says, he says, man, I don't understand. He says, you know, it's one thing to write screenplays where you know that you're going to have like like visuals and music and dialogue to lift it off the page. Um, but it's quite another just to write a book where it's all right there. There's no soundtrack to a book. I mean, you can yeah. make one, but there's not. Tell sure. me about that. How does that, does the drumming give you, did the drumming kind of inform the way you approached writing too, if that's not too weird a question? I think maybe in a way, um, yeah, I think maybe you're onto something there because there's something like I've always enjoyed reading stuff that has has kind of a rhythm to it, you know, like Kerouac, for example, there was always you can almost hear a rhythm to to the writing. And I sort of approached Maximum Taxi that way. And I do throughout the book uh, mention, you know, what songs on the radio when I'm driving and whatever, you know, so uh, there's definitely a, a musical connection and I, I think maybe the drumming does help because I, I try to write with rhythm. I try to keep it moving just like you would a song. And in a song, you, you know, you have your, your sort of ups and downs, you know, it'll, it'll plateau up to the chorus and then it'll come back down for a verse and then it'll rise back up, you know? So I, I think there's a, a relationship there. Yeah. Because like in any good song, there's a bridge there yeah, too exactly and, and and then maybe a solo or or what you know whatever the just, arrangement is right and that's so that's just i just curious about that because uh i haven't read a lot of musicians who are who are novelists um to be i've got a friend who's a musician he's brilliant he can play every instrument and he's written a book and um you know i always tell him for a musician um you're you're a pretty good writer and, I, and he laughed and that was it but 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 i was like you know i don't i'm not the one to say you know uh, you know to shut up and sing to him you know come on i'm just like get out of my action buddy come on man I'm yeah. um but no i'm just teasing but but doug i i i, I was just curious about that and how it informed the way you wrote so let me get to the to the to this though the, i want to talk about maximum taxi and okay. you got a guy named uh, Taylor Gordon, who reviewed it, he's an author. Uh, oh, it's a, that's a she. Oh, is that a she? A sheep. I beg yep. your pardon. Yep. Well, she says, thank you. For, he, she, Taylor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got a nephew <laughs> named Taylor. That's why I thought that. Okay. It says, Maxim Taxi is a captivating, funny, and irreverent tale told by a narrator who exists on the cusp of one world and another. Doug, a down-on-his-luck but resilient cab driver in a rapidly modernizing southern city, uses his relative anonymity 
to document his experiences almost as if from behind a camera, seeing everything but rarely being seen. Fans of Bukowski, Hunter S. Thompson, and Nelson Algren will find a lot to love in Bale's work. Well, I mean, it's it's too bad she couldn't give you a nice quote, but wow. <laughs> yeah, pretty. she put me in some pretty good company there. You are in some really good company. So, Douglas, tell us a little bit about this. Did you set out to be amongst these guys, or did it just? is this just how it flowed? Give us a little background on, on how you rolled up on the Maximum Taxi. Well, um, the background, basically, um, it was about 2013. I, um, I had a collapsed vertebrae Ooh. and yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. And the only time I, and my spine was sitting on both sciatic nerves, uh, it was difficult to stand for more than five or 10 minutes at a time, like very painful. So I had to find some kind of work where I could sit down. Mm -hmm. Luckily, being a drummer, I'm sitting down so I could still play. (laughs) Um, But I had to find in in those days, I was playing with a punk band called The Unsatisfied. And playing kind of not too many shows, you know, just a few shows. Maybe a dozen shows a year. So I had to have income. So I found a job cruising around online. I I found a job driving a taxi. Like there was an ad for, for a local taxi company. And I thought, well, I'm sitting down, you know? And so I wound up driving a cab and the people I met and the things I saw just, it, it was just so obvious to me. I was like, man, I've got to write this down. You know, I've got yeah. to tell these stories and it comes into some of it comes into, uh, you know, like socioeconomic sort of things, you know, because a lot of people and this, like I said, you know, this, I drove from 2013 to 2016 and a lot of people were taking taxis, especially a lot of, lower class and underclass and underprivileged people take cabs because they can't afford transportation. And, you know, it's, it's easier than standing at the bus stop for an hour, you know? So, um, but yeah, I I fell into the, the taxi thing that way. And like I was saying, the, the people I met, it just, uh, it was screaming for a story and I've always been kind of a visual person. Like my mind works visually and really when I was writing it, it was almost like I was watching a movie and just writing down what was happening. Hmm. You know what I mean? I if do. That, I do. If, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It, it does. I've actually, I'm similar. I've never driven a cab and, and I, I want to add something to this was really pre Lyft and Uber booming too. Um, yeah, right. pretty pretty much. Yeah, at the at the towards the end of the book, and towards the end of my my stint as a, a taxi driver, they started coming in like it started to be a thing in Chattanooga, like with with the uh, Uber and Lyft and stuff like that. And it was it. You could tell it was definitely taking a toll on the taxi business, you know, but it, uh, yeah, it it pretty much predated those, like the ride services, at least in this part of the country. I mean, Chattanooga's in the Southeast, so we're kind of behind the times compared to a lot of other places. (laughs) It's like Southeast Tennessee. Well, there you go. But, but you know, I but still, uh, what I what I was thinking about though was it here. I had taken cabs. Now, my socioeconomic status was was I had a car, but like oh, yeah. when I travel, I'd taken cabs. Yeah. But then when Uber and Lyft came along, um, I like instead of going out for a night on the town, I would take an Uber, which I never would have thought to take a cab. You see my point? Yeah. Um, so so you're getting the you're getting as you said, folks who. You know, it's better than standing in the rain at the bus stop or just being bored for an hour waiting or whatever. Well, and, you know, it might be a little, you know, that. And even even with the um, like with the advent of Uber and Lyft and those ride services like that, um, 
A, you've got to have a bank account and a card to be able to book one. Great With point. a cab, you can flag one down. You can call the cab company. You can pay in cash. So it does kind of leave some people out, you know, and and the cab services around here, they're they're still around. A few a few companies are still around. But I would guess, I mean, I haven't been in that game in six or seven years, but um I would guess that most of their business is either business travelers you know going to and from the airport and the hotels and and what like that or um more underprivileged people that just don't have the bank accounts and the credit cards and the access to the internet even sometimes you know right right well and so that that's where you you get this this book where as you said you you know you would just have these encounters give us a give us a little taste here what are we talking about here are we talking about things that people said to you how how, i mean i guess my question is this how often did they pull you into their story or 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 was it more a thing of you're just a fly on the wall observing what what was more prominent or just however you want to take that what should we know about how this went kind of kind of a little bit of both you know because i mean sometimes it's just like a 10 minute ride or you know, five minute ride, even, you know, so you just kind of say, Hey, how you doing in and out. Sometimes you got a 20 or 30 minute ride and you actually kind of, I don't know if you'd say you get to know these people or not, but, um, you certainly, you meet some interesting characters. I mean, somewhere in the book, I, I made the comment that it was everything from millionaires to two dollar whores, mm. you know, and everyone in between. Who tipped so better? <laughs> the, usually the two dollar whores did. <laughs> <laughs> like the the rich guys are tight, man. You know they don't they they don't want to turn loose of a buck. You know. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, man. No, <laughs> no, it's, that's for real though. And I, I mentioned that at one point in the book where I, I picked up this old dude that was um staying in kind of a retirement apartment. Uh, not a very nice place. It was like government subsidized. And just before I had picked him up, I had picked up these, these business guys and were, I think taking them from a hotel to a restaurant or vice versa. And I, I think the guy tipped me maybe like a dollar or two. Hmm. And then this old guy that's retired and on, you know, some sort of pension maybe or something. I don't know. He tipped me a hundred percent. Like the fare was $2 and he tipped me like $5 on top of it, you know? Wow. And it's, it's a funny world, man. Like <laughs> some of the people that it, it, it baffles me, you know, I, I, I kind of live on a very razor's edge financially. Um, but I'm always, I always try to be generous with people when I can, as far as like tipping people and especially someone that's doing a service for you. But yeah. even if, even if some dude walks past me on the street and asks for change or something, if I've got a dollar, I'll give it to him, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I've had people say that a buddy will say, I'll do that and say, Oh, you know, you're getting taken. I'm like, do I, do you know that? Do I know that? And what if I am fine? Yeah. You know what? Well, yeah. And, well, I've had people say, well, he's just going to go buy booze or drugs. And I'm like, hey, more power to him. You know, if that's what he wants. Then I'm just I'm glad to help him out. You know? Yeah. I, you know, I, I gave him my dollar. He, does, he doesn't need my judgment to go with it. You know, hey. it's, it's his business <laughs> exactly. business, you know right. <laughs> you know, sorry. That's that's not how it works. Exactly. But, so so but like I'll, I'll, so like I get this because I'm as a writer and I. I'm curious though. Um, like I just observe people and it sounds so trite, like, oh, I'm a writer, I observe people, but I just do. Okay. Let me give you a quick yep. example, Douglas. So I I had to go to Target the other day and get something. And you know how they have these self uh you can check out yourself now, you know? Right, right. You just do. 
So I'm standing there and I, you know, I'm not befuddled, but I take my time because I'm, I'm at that certain age where I'm like, oh shit, how do I do this again? I'm doing it. And then I see out of the corner of my eye at the next station, a young lady, probably all of 22, looked like she had a really rough night. Okay. I mean, I'm again, not trying to judge, just telling you what she looked like. Okay. Yeah. She's, she's frazzled looking or just like rolled out of bed. Anyway. Okay. You get the picture. And she has, and I just, I don't know what about it that attracted me to look was it wasn't anything like she was just like this stunning woman or anything. I just, I think it's because she, she dropped her, her, her purchase right on there and it made a slapping sound. I think that's what, and then I noticed her and then I looked at her purchase and it was a home pregnancy test. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she pays for it. Doesn't put it in a bag, just grabs the receipt and it, and she makes a beeline to the restroom. At oh my gosh. Yeah. Hey man, it's, that's real life, you know? Right. And a, a lot of people, uh, that was one thing I enjoyed about writing this book is I, I think um, a lot of people, especially in this country, aren't really in touch with that kind of harder side of life, you know, that, right. that most people live. I think the majority of people live pretty tough lives and pretty hard lives. You know, you've got some people that are more privileged that, that don't even realize that sort of thing exists, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for people to realize that that sort of thing exists. Do just you, do you, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to say just so maybe there's a little more empathy, you know, or at least sympathy, <laughs> you know. It, it seems it's entirely short supply in the United States these days. Yeah, man. And I don't get it either. It's there with the grace of God, you know. Um, um, Absolutely. Everybody, everybody's had something. And even people who were born into privilege have had something. And we should, we should give them grace if they, let's say, they had an abusive parent. They might have had all the, yep. the the monetary and physical things they needed, you know, comforts, but they were abused. We don't know, um, you know, uh, but, you know, I, I grew up in a big family and not a lot of money. And, um, you know, I seem to be all right now, but, but, you know, I have my own things, but, and I've been judged, you know, people look at me, middle-aged white dude doing all right. Um, <laughs> you've never suffered. You've never struggled. I mean, I literally had somebody tell me that. I'm just like, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you bet. But what I like about what your work is saying, and what I think you're saying here though, is that, um, um, and I think that goes along with, you know, the, the people that your friend Taylor said you write the same way you, you're in their company, the writers like Bukowski and stuff is, um, it is, it is just saying here are lives that you probably know nothing about and mm -hmm. you should. Exactly. But what is, but Douglas, what is the value of that for, for how about this? What's the value of that learning for a guy like me who, again, I, start a life in a mobile home but i'm fine now you know everything's good i'm just want, i'm just curious about what is the value what am i what should i get out of that if i'm not usually reading um that kind of work i'm just curious what you think people take from it or should take from it i don't know I'm, i hope at any rate that it's that it's entertaining you know it's um like the the book that i wrote and the one i'm working on now i i try to show these sides of the world, but at the same time, try to make it entertaining and interesting, you know, to where hopefully anyone can pick it up and go, Oh, wow, that's cool. Or that's funny, or that's weird. Um, but I, I think the, maybe the value in it, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure if there is any true, value to it other <laughs> than just the entertainment and the maybe get a little education maybe see a little slice of the world that you've never seen before you know right I, 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 and that's I, and that's that's very valid too i mean you know um some people though uh i think they'll pick up something that's kind of got that and um there's this interesting kind of cockade way they read it, I think, where they're they're looking for some sort of shabby nobility in the lives of these people who are who are struggling. And, and I think yeah. I think there 
I think there is, but I, you know what I say? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I hate the idea of the people who would pick up a book like Bukowski or of course yours and, and, and our buddy Joe's, uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe West and, and just thinking, oh, these are just these precious people, you know, that, that really are, there's not that many of them. And what your point has been is like, no, 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 no. There's so many more people who are on the, on the razor's edge, just like this. And oh, uh, totally. Yeah. So I, I love that. That's one thing you open the door to is that, is the book written as vignettes or is it a, is there what's, what's holding it together? In, in a way it it is like each chapter is its own little story. Mm-hmm. And but it's, you know, you've got the main character, Doug, oddly enough, <laughs> um, who's sort of narrating and describing and, and telling what's going on. Uh, but each chapter, and I don't know if I did that purposely or not, but it came out right. to where you could break a chapter down and and it would be like its own little short story, mm-hmm. you know? Like each chapter kind of has a beginning and end, but in the the entire novel, they all tie together. Like there's a uh, there's a rhythm to it, like I said earlier. But they all they all tie together from beginning to end. Um, right. And and there are a few characters that pop up throughout the book, you know. Um. But yeah, it's uh I think you could call it a series of vignettes because each each day is different. And that that was one thing I enjoyed about driving a cab was um you just never knew from day to day A whether you go you were gonna make any money, B what was gonna happen. So it was it was that was one part of that job that I enjoyed because it was something different all the time like day to day all the time. Did you ever have um, any scary moments driving? Oh, several. (laughs) (laughs) Care to share? Several. (laughs) Well, there were a couple of them are in the book, you know. Um, But yeah, there was, um, I had a guy one time that was um, down in the hood late at night, picked him up. And he comes out, gets in the cab, and the entire time he's he's wearing some sweatpants, mm-hmm. like a like a running suit, you know. Mm-hmm. But the entire time, from the time he came out of the house, got in the cab, he's got his right hand in his pocket. Oh, you know. And it's late at night, and this is a very rough neighborhood I'm in. He's wanting to go across town a little ways and. Keeps his hand in his pocket, you know? Mm-hmm. And at some point during the ride, he looks over at me and goes, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, boy. And I was like, well, I I believe that Jesus existed. I don't know, you know, exactly that he was what he's portrayed to be. And he goes, do you believe in Jesus? And I was like, look, man. here's the deal i believe that everybody ought to be everybody and everybody ought to be cool and everybody ought to be free to be what they want to be but i will tell you this i have a pistol in my left hand and your hand in your pocket is making me very nervous and he pulled his hand out of his pocket folded his hands on his chest and said it's cool man it's cool Cause I did when I was doing that, like some of the neighborhoods I'd go in, I I started carrying a gun down the side of my boot and I could, I could get it, you know, and if you're in the driver's seat, I could have it in my hand and nobody would know, like nobody could see it, you know? Now I had another, another guy like in the projects that we were waiting on his girlfriend. We pulled up and we're waiting on his girlfriend to come out and he starts telling me all about the <laughs> basically the people that he had killed oh uh and doing drive-bys and all this stuff you know and i'm just like sitting there shocked but at the same time trying to be cool you know i'm like okay all right 
you know <laughs> that's that's your story man you know but yeah it, it got into some it got into some weird situations sometimes you know what is well what is it about the cab that it becomes makes it confessional these people would not go into a mcdonald's and tell the guy they're ordering their big mac and go by the way i killed a dude yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. That always that was one thing that always fascinated me. I I'm, and maybe it's because people have this perception of I'm not going to see this guy again, you know. Yeah. And want to just unload like kind of like being a bartender. People just want to unload tell you their what's on their shoulders or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um but but that always fascinated me. I mean, people would tell you stuff that is just mind blowing sometimes about their lives, and and you're just driving along going, "Oh, okay, cool." Yeah. <laughs> it's like I can't really give you any advice. Yeah, <laughs> but and that's kind of that's kind of what propelled me to write the book was just the the stuff that people talk about and people do, you know, ever, uh, you know, I know realize you, you, you drove in a, you know, not a big metropolitan area. Well, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. so anybody well-known ever get in the gap? Ah, man, that, uh, what is that cat? Um, Chris Robinson, I think. Um, I'm trying to think what band, he used to be in. He's kind of a rock star, but was it Black Crows? No. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he got in like him and a couple of guys, and I'd picked him up at this nice hotel, and they wanted to go to out to a steakhouse, you know. And I didn't recognize the dude, you know. <laughs> like he, <laughs> um. This was, it was after the Black Crows and he was just doing, I think it was like the Chris Robinson band, you know, it was like mm. the solo sort of thing, but kind of the same songs and music and stuff. And, you know, I pull up and I, I pick him up right outside their tour bus. I'm like, wow, man, these, you know, some kind of rock man. And the three of them get in and the first thing, you know, I had the windows down, I was smoking a cigarette. First thing they're like, man, put that cigarette out, put that cigarette out. I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> like, that's cool. And, um, so we're riding out this steakhouse and, and, um, they're like, uh, I ask them, you know, cause you just try to kind of make conversation with people. I'm like, so you guys in a band you playing tonight, huh? They're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what group are you with? And they're like, Chris Robinson band. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Never really heard of it, but you know, <laughs> and, and I think the dude got offended, you know. Oh shit! <laughs> instead of being like, like if he would have said, "Yo, I was the the front man for the Black Crows," I would have been, "Oh, okay, now I know." You know. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think he got a little pissed because. I took him to the steakhouse and gave him a card with my number to bring it back. And they didn't call me back. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Well, dude, seriously, you, you pay the price for not recognizing Chris Robinson band. I mean, yeah. you know. And then I, uh, I had the, um, that, that old group, Kansas, they were oh, playing sure. in town and I took all of their wives from the hotel to the show, which, you know, I, I had no idea who they were and they got in and they're like, Hey, yeah, we're going to the arena, whatever. And all right, cool. Y'all going to the Kansas show. And they're like, yeah, that's our husbands. I'm like, far out. That's cool. You know? <laughs> so you literally carried on the wayward son's wives. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was terrible. Just <laughs> Douglas, throw me off the show. That was terrible, man. You're so kind to laugh. Oh my God. I liked it. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, man. You, you could. Put that in your book if you want to do a revised edition. Don't I'm, don't have to pay me anything. I'm joking. I've got but, a weird sense of humor. So, <laughs> well, you and I are getting along great then for that alone. But th these stories are great. So the book is chock full of this. So let me let me shift gears a little bit in the time we have left. Um, were you you'd written for some zines and you'd done some other things, but when what 
what was the moment? Was it just like you got, you kept thinking, I've got all these great little stories that I can pull together. What was it where you said, you know, screw it. I'm going to make a book. Um, well, like I said, when I was driving the cab, it hit me. I was like, somebody's got to tell this, you know? And yeah, I started, I started the novel actually writing in a notebook in the cab, like in oh, between man. calls. Like I was longhand writing in a, a composition book. And then I, you know, I'd take it home and after a while I had probably three fourths of it written out. So I start typing it up on the computer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I think this will stand up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally got it done after, you know, I did, um, of course I did several revisions of it. Like, um, I think I rewrote it three or four times altogether and then started shopping around for a publisher, which getting a book published is much harder than writing a book. I will say that. True story. I think, I think I sent it to like 38 different publishers and was getting rejections regularly. You know, it's, Oh, it's Thursday. I should be getting a rejection today. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um, uh, one, one guy I sent it to at, uh, outcast press wrote back and he was like, man, I really like it, but I got a lot of stuff in the pipe right now. Would you care if I send it to my friend Cody at anxiety press? And I was like, no, please do, man. You know, let, let anybody look at it and, uh, didn't hear anything for two or three weeks. And then I get an email from anxiety press and it's like, Hey man, I love it. Let's do it. Wow. And yeah, I shot up through the ceiling yeah, like a rocket because, <laughs> you know, it's one thing like having poems published in little zines and, and stuff like that. I mean, that's, it always feels good. It's cool. But I had worked so hard and so long on this thing that when it finally came through that somebody actually wanted to help me put it out, um, it was just an amazing thing, man. It was a great feeling. Oh, it had, it had to be incredible. It, there's, and there's nothing like holding that book in your hand when it's finally out. Right. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, uh, shoot. I got one right here. Look. Hey now. <laughs> oh man. That's a fun cover too. Yeah. The cover art Cody Sexton at anxiety did the cover art on it and did a great job. And yeah, I, I couldn't be happier with it, you know. And I've got it in several little um, bookstores, um, like Amoeba Music and Hollywood is carrying it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Dunaway Books in St. Louis is carrying it. The Hambone Gallery in Clarksdale, Mississippi is carrying it. And there's a local bookshop called Winder Binder that's carrying it. I mean, I mean, Douglas, you're aware that it's tough to even get bookstores to to carry anything. You know, there's just, oh, so I'm, very, space, right? I'm very I mean, aware. That's what I, I do got, all day. I got listeners who are probably loving to, to hear this whole story about you until just now. And now they're cursing you because you got your book in like six different bookstores nationwide. And they're like, how do you do that? Well, oh, just, you know, they, they, I, I got they're cursing in, you in a, in a nice way. Don't, don't I got worry. it in six different bookstores by sending out 6,000 emails. You know? Jeez <laughs> like, Louise. Like begging people like, hey, man, will you sell my book? <laughs> and that's what it, it takes. It's, it's, it's that whole. But that's the thing. It's like, uh, it's like you. You, you got you, you hurt your back and you thought, yeah. well, I could sit around on my ass or I can get a job where I can sit on my ass, but technically work, you know, work, not right. technically, but work. And then you're like, you pitched it to what, 38 different publishers. Um, yeah. Then, then, then you, 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 you know, I don't know if you're exaggerating a little or not, but you're sending out thousands of emails to get bookstores. Interested. And that's what it takes. Well, like, hundreds. I'm, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but hundreds though. You know, yeah, but that's the thing. It's just it's the work ethic that you have, and then and, and then too, it's it's a, a bit of networking as well. You know, like you know, I got a friend in this city that's a photographer, and and she knows this guy that owns this bookstore. So, 
you know, hit up your friends and like the social media stuff and every everywhere you possibly can and just try to network it because right. there, you know, I mean, the things available on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. But there are also, I don't know, probably a million books available on Amazon for so yeah. so for someone just to stumble across it, you know, you just, you got to get out every chance you can and you know set up events in your hometown where you do signings and readings and anything yeah. you can just to let people know it's out there you know you know i just did a book festival and i, I don't i haven't done a lot lately i've got an eight book series and and i went and i, I nearly sold out i bought a big box of books i had sitting around and i nearly yeah. sold them all and sweet and and a librarian who was a buyer for an eight county library system bought everything I've ever published and put it in circulation because <laughs> what did awesome. I do? I got, I got off my ass and went out and sat on my ass at a book festival. Right. And that's what you're talking yeah. about. So it's great lesson here for you. You folks listening is, is if you're, you're a writer and, and, and I, I know writers who have one book, two books, or they're like myself, they have 10 or whatever, but you, you it doesn't matter. You get out there, be brave, Offer your work. Your work is valuable. Yep. I started this whole conversation with Doug. Let's just say, what value should people pull from this? And I love his answer. Well, I hope they're entertained. And that's number one, right? You know, entertain people, write a damn good book, and then don't be afraid to sell it. That's that's why I read is just to be entertained, you know? Well, speaking of that, you said, I heard you, so you can't retract it. You're working on a new book, too. What's, tell yep. us a little bit about it. You got a minute? Well, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's, a fictionalized account of uh, kind of my life in rock and roll. Like it starts out Mm. with the first band that I ever played in. It was me and my brother and a few other guys when I was like 19 or 20 and goes all the way up to a few years ago. I I played with a, a group that was called Mark Porkchop Holder uh it's blues guy oh it's yeah it's a great name yeah, his nickname's pork chop uh but he's a blues guy you know plays slide and harmonica and sings and we got to do some big shows we got to tour uh all over the country in mexico and in europe and wow uh but then that folded up and i was kind of stranded in clarksdale mississippi for like 4 years you know with oh wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's it kind of goes you know there's a there's definitely a story arc you know coming from the bottom to the top and back to the bottom again you know well it's uh, yeah colin hay the singer songwriter i love i adore oh, him yeah. he had a great he's uh, he w- went from a jack to a king and back he talks about it all the time you know <laughs> and he's on like his fourth recreation of his career since men at right. work and all that i've got everything the guy ever did he's brilliant um i bet if he called you to, he needed a drummer you would you go with colin i bet you would right? oh i'd jump on it yeah yeah i'd jump on it what's the one thing as we i hate to do this because i'm having such a great time talking to you but we got to roll it up here in a second but i want to ask you right. what is the one thing people don't What's the misconception people don't have have or that you found about the music business about being doing what you do? What's the big misconception? Oh, the the biggest misconception is that the musicians are actually making any money. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the biggest misconception. But Ouch. I mean, and unless you're, uh, you know, I've played I've played shows in front of thirty thousand people and made a pretty good paycheck for an hour and a half on stage, you know, but the next week I was playing in a bar in front of five people and didn't make anything. So it, it's a very, uh, very up and down sort of thing, you know, like the, the title of the book I'm working on now is rock and roller coaster, <laughs> which I, I stole from Joe Strummer. Right, right. From the song, uh, all all the young punks. Oh my um, But it it truly is. It's it's so many ups and downs. I mean, I've been I grew up very middle class, but I've been homeless like three different times. You know, I mean, literally homeless, wow. like wow. three different times in my life. And um, 
it, it's due to the decisions I've made to, to try to, to try to be an artist and a musician and a writer rather than have a real job, you know, but um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've had a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I was, I almost said that I almost said, I bet you wouldn't trade it for anything. No, nah, you know? no, nah, man, I've got to travel all over and, and do things that a lot of people never have the opportunity to do, you know? Um, uh, when, and when I'm still kicking. <laughs> you are. You you look great, and you're 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 hilarious, and and it's it's. I've, I've enjoyed meeting you. Last question though about that. Yep. When might we see that that new book, the 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 rock and roll book? Man, I don't know. I'm um about a third of the way into the first draft, maybe a fourth of the way into the first draft. So it it'll probably. Hopefully I can get it finished up by the end of the year and um, get it out there sometime, maybe by spring. Okay, great. Is uh, you is know? your current publisher interested in it? Or are you, or I, I haven't even really asked them about it, but um, I think they'll dig it. You know, okay. I've, I've just got to get it. Yeah. I've got to get it polished up and, and finished up and put all the, you know, all the pretty lights and, make sure there are periods in the right places. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, uh, I was, uh, by the way, folks just check the show notes. There's going to be links where you can find, uh, um, his website, douglasbales.com and Instagram and Facebook and all those, all the things that all the socialist, uh, <laughs> the socialist <laughs> media, as he says, uh, you'll find it all there. And, uh, as he said, um, he's in a lot of bookstores and if he's not in your bookstore, guess what? Go request it, put it on order. Tell, tell them you want to read this book. You're you're going to be glad you did. Um, it's a great thing. And, I, and we've just met a wonderful guy who uh, has, you know, literally brought the rhythm uh, of his musicality and the rhythm of the street driving a cab into his fiction. And uh, it's not quite as fictional as you might imagine, right? So we got to definitely right. check out the book, which is Maximum Taxi, which, by the way, whoops, my ear fell out, but I, I have an ear, ear pod that fell out. Uh, but I seem to, seem to still be here. If I, can, if I can't hear you, Doug, here we go. But uh, David P. Langlinay, is it Langlinay, author of Duck Thief and Other Stories, says... Yeah, Langlinay. Thank you. That guy yeah. says uh, Douglas Bales comes from that great tradition of American storytellers. His voice is honest and unpretentious, and the rhythms of his prose lead us through moments that are sometimes lighthearted and always eye-opening. Gritty, darkly comical, compassionate, and heartbreaking. Maximum Taxi is a ride that doesn't disappoint. And Douglas Bales, it's just like this conversation. I have had so much fun, man. Thank you for joining us here on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it, Alex. Thanks for having me on, man. It was it was fun talking with you. Ah, the season of giving is almost upon us, and nothing speaks to the holiday spirit quite like the written word. Mysterious, suspenseful, and sometimes downright thrilling. If you're a faithful listener of Mysterious Goings On, and I have to assume you are because you're listening to my voice right as we speak, we've cooked up something special just for you, so grab a cup of hot cocoa or some cider, tune in and listen up. We're doing a holiday book giveaway. We're giving away a collection of riveting books that have one thing in common. They've been featured on your favorite podcast, Mysterious Goings On. And because we love our listeners, there's a cherry on top. There's even going to be autograph books by yours truly, J. Alexander Greenwood. This is your chance to score some great books for the readers on your holiday season list. So here's how you do it. It's very simple. Go over to jalexandergreenwood.com. That's the home of my work and the John Pilot Mysteries and all my other books and writings. And join our email list. You just go to the homepage, scroll down, you'll see a place where you can enter your email. Then once you get the email in your inbox, you have to verify it. And boom, you're in, right? Trust me, your inbox won't regret it. You will only get periodic emails. I won't be bothering you every day. That's so obnoxious. It'll just be to let you know whenever we have a new post on the uh, blog for the site or if we have special announcements and of course we also have giveaways and discounts that are available only to people who subscribe to the list sign up there or if you're already signed up there you're already in for a chance to win hey do you want to up the odds you can earn extra entries by sharing our social media posts about the giveaway each shares an additional roll of the dice in your favor so even if you win the grand prize let's say you're still up to win 
another prize pack. So we're giving away several. So this is kind of a cool thing. All you have to do is screenshot your share and send it to me, alex at alexgpr.com. It's that simple. Just screenshot it, say, here's an additional entry for you, Alex. I shared this on my Facebook, or I shared this on Insta, or I shared this on Twitter, wherever you want to share it. Okay, here are the things. The dates to remember, you got to mark your calendar now. This giveaway kicks off on November 1 and runs until December 7th, 2023. And here's what you can win. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to have three different prize packs. Okay, second runner-up scores one book by featured author and one book autographed by me. The first runner-up takes home two books by featured authors on the show and one autographed book by me. And the grand prize winner receives three books by authors who've been featured on Mysterious Goings On plus one autographed book from me, J. Alexander Greenwood. I mean, think about this. There is enough there for you to to give away uh, all of these and make so many people happy, or you can just, uh, you know, hoard them for your own self. And uh, who will know and who will blame you if you do? Okay, what's the fine print? Well, unfortunately, we can only ship to addresses within the United States. To our international listeners, we promise we're working on ways to include you in the future. I could probably swing a thing where I can give away a free copy of one of my books on ebook. If you're part of this mailing list, you will be notified when those books are made free on Amazon.com, and you can just go get them. So there you go. And that's it, folks. It's a giveaway that's as simple as it is rewarding. Join us in celebrating not just the mystery genre and the thriller genre and the suspense genre and more, but the spirit of the season. And don't wait. These books won't read themselves. And in the world of mysterious goings-on, you never really know what's around the next page. Good luck, and as always, keep listening and keep reading. Hey, this is Alex Greenwood. You know, I've been told for years that I'm really killing it in this podcasting game. Um, actually, I've heard that from my friend Jamie Green. Uh, Jamie, I think you're killing it in the podcasting game. Well, I appreciate that. Yes, we are both natural-born killers for podcasting. And of cocktails. So I think it'd be fun, per your idea, that we get together for a drink and a think about some bizarre Kansas City shenanigans, usually murders. I love it. Let's call it going to Killin' City. Once a month, historic murder, pair it with a killer cocktail. Have a great time. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us on Mysterious Goings On. Be sure to follow Mysterious Goings On wherever you get your podcast and never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can get the links to books and other things mentioned on the show at mgopod.com. Until next time, keep reading.